Last time I sung that song, there was a body laying in a casket in front of me in Wilson, Kansas, of a lady who was 96 years young, who lived faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ. And to hear you all sing that after hearing it earlier this week, it, I'm not going to lie, it kind of choked me up a little bit again. I was leading that song when we sung it last, and uh, my voice kind of broke in the middle. And, uh, but, man, what, a truth, what truth is in that song? I can't wait for that day when we see Jesus Christ. Can you? No more brokenness, no more crying, no more pain. Um, none of that stuff. All that will be gone. And we'll be with Jesus Christ. And no more sickness. You know, I'm kind of tired of sickness, aren't you? This last week, I got a lot of calls because our live stream didn't work. So praise the Lord, that's working again. We had a graphics card break during Sunday school last week. I saw the screens flicker in and... I had mentioned to Charles before the service started, I was like, I think that graphics card's getting ready to go. And about 10 minutes before Sunday school ends, they all drop. And uh, so we used my laptop last week at least to get the house working here. And, uh, but the live stream didn't go out, so I'm glad for all of you who reached out to me and let me know the live stream's not working, it's working this week. So, Really? It was still, oh, huh. Interesting. Maybe YouTube worked and then nothing. I don't know. But I got a lot of messages that it didn't work last week. So we praise the Lord. It's working this week. And uh, so your prayers are not hindered. It did work. And I thank the guys who fixed it while I was gone because I didn't have any of the fix on it because I took off on Tuesday at uh, early in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning. I think I ended up getting away with the uh, different things going on. And uh, I was gone all week until yesterday at 5.30-ish when I got back in town, and uh, so I just praise the Lord for travel mercies and the uh, safety and the 10 and a half hour trips down and back and all the other driving that was done, but we praise the Lord for that, and that kind of leads into our last message here, and it talks about, um, <laughs> ironically, re eliminating all the hurry in our lives. There's a difference between being busy and being hurried, isn't there? We can be busy and not hurried. How many of you think Jesus was busy? Right? How many of you feel that Jesus was hurried in the Bible? Did he do a lot? Absolutely. But he also was a time manager. And as we look at the different stories of the life of Jesus Christ, you see where he was cognizant of time. He knew what was going on time-wise around him. He, there were times where he was so busy doing ministry, he forgot to eat. There was times where he was so busy doing ministry that he didn't sleep much. There was times in ministry where he had to get away and he knew it was time to get away. Uh, especially when the crowds wanted to make him king. What did he do? He went up into a mountain and he prayed. He got alone. And uh, so as we've gone through this series, um, this started out as something that I wanted to uh, study and I had done some research on it. And then I found out there's a book called Redeeming Your Time, so I stole its title and its main points to help out with the outline for the series. But I don't own the book. I, I, I'm not going to endorse the book because I don't know what it teaches. Uh, but he has really good points, so I'll give you that point uh, for sermon titles. So our series titles have been his markers, but the principles are, are in the scriptures. They're all in here. So let's go to Ephesians 5 and set the stage again. And then we're going to systematically work our way through some text. 
They're going to help us to understand the difference between being busy and being hurried when it comes to living the Christian life. So Ephesians 5.17, God commands us to redeem the time. He says, look carefully at then at how you walk. How many of you pay attention to how you walk? All right. This is something that's natural for us, right? I can honestly tell you the entire time I was doing that funeral service this week, I don't remember a single step I took. I don't remember looking at my, my shoes one second. I, I don't remember thinking that. Now, do I remember paths and ways and directions? Yeah. But I don't remember every step I took. Notice he says, look carefully at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise we comparison contract making the best use of our time why because the days are evil how many want to debate that fact this is a universal truth in our time period right are things better today than they used to be are, are things progressing uh for good or are they progressing for evil I mean, we see this in our in our leadership we see it in organizations we see it all over the place. Verse 17, therefore, and anytime there's a therefore, you got to ask what it's there for, right? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what, what? What the will of the Lord is. So let me ask you a question. What is God's will for your life when it comes to how you use your time? What is God's will for your life as you got to deal with time? Do you think he cares how you use your time? Do you think he's giving you an infinite amount of time? Or do you think he's giving you a finite amount of time? You know, this last week, there's nothing more sobering than walking up to a casket of somebody you knew seven years ago and seeing how much they changed. And seeing them laying in a casket in, in the condition they're in, and, and they never look the same, do they? You know why? There's no life in them. The personality is gone. The life, the shell is there, but the life has been taken away. And you know what? All of us, if the rapture doesn't come first, all of us are going to be in that position of how did you use your time that God gave you? And there's nothing like a funeral to get people to remember and to redeem their time. You know what? All of us, all of us are going to die with things on our to-do list. And you know what? God's not going to worry about finishing them. God's not going to sweat the details. He's not going to worry about what's on your to-do list. When your day comes, what's he going to do? He's going to take you home. That's why the Bible says it's appointed. What's an appointment? Linear or punctiliar? It's a point in time. In the Greek, it's, it's punctiliar. It means that there's a, there's a dot on the timeline. It's not a line. It's a dot. It's appointed unto man. There's a dot on the timeline of life where you're going to die. And after that, you're going to be judged. Now, many times as Christians, we think, well, I'm saved. I'm not going to be judged. Well, that's not exactly true. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that after death, we must all appear where? Before the judgment seat of Christ. And what is he going to judge? Now remember, there's a great white throne judgment as well, right? The great white throne judgment is based on the fact of whether or not you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
If you're not in the family, the great white throne judgment is going to separate the sheep from the goats. It's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. It's going to separate the believer from the unbeliever. But the judgment seat of Christ, we're all going to appear before Jesus Christ. And what are we going to give an account for? Time. We're going to give an account for time. How you used your time for the glory of God or how you used your time for your selfish endeavors. And based on those two measures, you're either going to receive crowns or you're not going to receive crowns. You're either going to have something to give to Jesus Christ or you're going to be standing there and have nothing to offer him. And it's after this judgment that all pain and tears and sorrow and and hurt and all these things are wiped away. Why do you think that is? Because God's going to reveal to us the opportunities that we had in this lifetime to minister to others and whether or not we did it for the glory of God and the good of others. Or did we use that to consume of ourselves? And that's what I want to show you here as we get into the last one. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, verse 17, but understand what? What is God's will for how you use your time? Right? Does God care about time, space, and matter? Time, space, and matter don't, don't apply to God. He supersedes time, he supersedes space, and he supersedes matter. He spoke and the world existed. When did time begin? When he spoke or the first lap the earth took around the sun? I almost said the moon there. That was funny. When he spoke. And the morning and the evening were the first day. No planets, just light and darkness. That's all that was there. But time already existed. And the Lord is interested in time from his creation to the end of time. By the way, what does revelation mean? Unveiling, revealing, right? What is he revealing? The future. The future what? Future events. Well, no, it's not just the future events. He's also explained to you what's going to happen in the future of time. Because what happens once this earth is destroyed? What happens once all the things are destroyed at the end of the book of Revelation? What does he do? And lo, behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the new heaven and the new earth descended out of where? Out of heaven. And, and we see that now nothing is bound by time because God has created it anew. He created it after his power. So remember, let's go back and review real quick what we looked at so far. The first one is this. There needs, the way we redeem our time is we need to start with the word. And man, I can tell you what, it was good to ride in a car for 10 and a half hours where you can't get a radio station because I'm not like some of you and I, I don't get serious about my radio. Um, but I just sat there and, and was able just to think about and plan the service and, and to think about scriptures and think about the time I spent at that church and, and all the things that came to my memory just by being by myself in a car for 10 hours, the time to reflect. And man, that was good. And I'm like, I really need to emphasize that on the first point. Be in the word. And then, and then point three is true too. Get away from all the noise. You know what? Nothing in Washington affected me on Tuesday. Do you know that? I have no idea on Tuesday what happened in Washington, D.C. And you know what? I didn't miss a bit of it. 
And you know what? I caught up the, on Saturday this week and found out I really didn't miss anything. Not much. Of, did you still know that the Democrats and Republicans are fighting? Do you still know the Democrats are fighting with themselves and Republicans are fighting with themselves? Do you know all that's still going on? I didn't even miss it on Tuesday. But you know what I got to do Tuesday? I got to sit there and meditate and think on the word. And, and as I'm driving, I'm trying to put together a funeral service at the same time to just reflect and think, what is your life? Your life is a, how many, how many boiled something this last week? Weren't you fascinated by that steam that was coming off? Not all of it, not all, just that one. Remember that one that came off? What is your life? It's a vapor. It's there, gone. It's, it's, it's little. In the realm of eternity, it, it's that, gone. Your life is a vapor. Teach us to redeem the days. Redeem our time. We all act like we're going to live forever, don't we? We plan like we're going to live forever. You know, other than this year, our missions conference is planned out for the next three years. I can tell you who the speakers are. It came all the way up. Um, we, we have our speakers for the next three years already lined up. Like, I hope we're not here for that, right? But we still plan like we're going to be. And, and this is how we live our lives. We plan knowing that God is sovereignly in control and can change our plans at any moment. This last Sunday, I found that to be true. I didn't know I was going to Kansas for a second trip. I didn't have a plan. Matter of fact, my car was already a thousand miles overdue for an oil change. Praise the Lord, I got it changed down in Kansas. Otherwise, it would have been about 3,000 miles overdue. But you know what? We need to be in the Word. We need to get away. We need to get quiet with the Lord. We need to let our yes be yes. And I was thinking of this as I was reviewing for this message. How many of these things happened to me this week? Almost every one of them. I had to prioritize my yes. I had to get alone and be quiet and get away from everybody. I had to let my yes be yes when I committed to go. I couldn't say yes and then be like on Wednesday. Well, you know, I just didn't feel like it. No, I had to go. You know, I had to accept the fact that I could only be in one place at one time. I couldn't be here and there. So I had to delegate to other people and let them use their spiritual gifts. And then embrace productive rest. You know what happened last night at about six o'clock? What happened, Christy? Uh, I died. I was done. I was out of energy. And I laid down and I slept. And I, I don't even remember when I got off the couch and actually went to bed. But it was some ungodly time of the night. So it felt like an ungodly time of the night. And those of you who know me, I'm never in bed at 930. So, so let's unpack the seventh principle. But you know what? All these affected my life this last week. So these are not concepts I'm just giving to you saying, hey, try them out and see if they work. Let me know. No, these are things that work. And this week, others were blessed because of these principles. But principle number seven, and this one is huge. And this one I had to work on this week. And, and this is one I'm glad I had the privilege of preaching. And is this, get rid of the hurry in our lives. Now, there was things that had to happen this week. I needed to get to that funeral. I had to get to different places. But you control, you control, you plan out what's going to happen. There was opportunities for me to be hurried this last week. Imagine if I decided I was going to be hurried and did 90 mile an hour all the way to Kansas. <laughs> I guarantee I would not break any land speed records because I would have been stopped how many different times along the way and instructed that my ways are not the government's ways. 
And my thoughts about speed are not the government's thoughts about speed. And it would have been a very costly trip. But we've talked about, all through this series, about how life is drastically different today than it was in the first century, yet how everything that Jesus did when it concerns time applies to us today as well. Can you choose to be hurried or choose not to be hurried? Can you choose to be busy or not be busy? Well, sometimes. What if work's busy? Do you have a choice to be busy? Well, I just won't show up at work. Well, you're not going to get paid, right? So there are seasons in our life that are going to be busy, but we don't have to be hurried in the process of that. And you say, well, Pastor Joe, what's the difference between hurry and busy? Well, we're going to get to that. But let's go to the scripture verse and find out what Jesus did when he was pressed. Because one of the most common words used in the Gospel of Mark, anybody know what time word appears in the book of Mark more than any other book of the Bible? Immediately. What does immediately signify? Action, right? Something is happening, man. It, we're going somewhere. Something's going to change. Listen to Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. Is he busy or hurried? Busy, right? And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, you have lost your mind. Now, could you imagine telling God he lost his mind? I mean, really personalize this for a second. Imagine you seeing Jesus busy all day long, working on, with people, on people, for people, and you being his family, you walk up to him and say what? Have you lost your mind? You haven't even eaten today. Jesus was busy. Another time, his disciples tried to convince him to, to knock it off. And he replies in John 11 and verse 9. Verses 9 and 10. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? And if anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he what? He stumbles. He trips. Because the light is not in him. When that night did come for Jesus, John 17 and verse 4 takes over. Jesus said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. You know, how many of you trip when it's light out? Okay, imagine when it's not light out, how much more prone to you for tripping. This reminds me of when my kids were younger and we had a lot of Legos in the house. Right? You know where I'm going. Jacking with her diabetes, her alarm goes off, middle of the night. You walk into her room and you step on one of them bad boys and you have not lived a second until you stepped on a Lego. Because I don't care what those things are made out of, they have needles that pop out at night. <laughs> they just go. <laughs> and you step on that bad boy, and I don't care how quiet you're trying to be, it's over. Because it's like, ha! Huh! And it seems like the second you step off one, they multiply. <laughs> and everywhere you step is Lego infested. And you know what? The second you turn the light on, you're like, what in the world? And then you're able to kick them out of the way, make a trail, and, and life is good again. But in the darkness, you don't see what's going to trip you up. You know what? Jesus was busy, but he never got hurried. Do you remember when there was some pressure on him to get to somebody's grave? Having done a funeral this last week got me thinking about this. When, when Lazarus died, do you remember? Lord, Lazarus, the one you love is dead. 
And Jesus is like, nah, it's okay, he's been sleeping. And you remember the, 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 the comment that came back after he said he was sleeping? No, 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 you don't understand. Just, he's been dead for three days. What's the significance of three days? He's dead, right? And what was the proof that Mary used to prove that he was dead? He stinks! He's starting to smell, man! He is not, if he's sleeping, that dude's rank. And I know the guy, and he's not that rank when he was alive, but he's rank now. He stinks. And Jesus, you remember what he says? He's not in a hurry. And Mary's shocked at the fact that he's not in a hurry. And he makes his way back to the tomb, and what well, we know the rest of the story, right? What does Jesus do? Lazarus, come forth! And who walks out? The Bible says he walks out. I kind of imagine him like, Help! He's, he's all wrapped up in his burial clothes, like, get me out of this stuff. I was just taking a nap. And they're like, no, you were dead. So Jesus was busy, but he never, we never see him hurried. You know, in, in a book called Soul Keeping, it says this, there's a difference between being busy and being hurried. Being busy is an outward condition or a condition of the body. It occurs when we have many things to do. Busyness is inevitable in our modern culture today. How many of you have ever heard the term multitasking? Right? We got to multitask. We got to do more with less time and all this stuff, right? By itself, busyness itself is not lethal. However, being hurried is an inner condition. Busy is the outward. Hurried is inward. It's a condition of the soul. It means that we are to be so preoccupied with ourselves and our life that we're unable to be fully present with God at any moment. That means we're so tied to the things going on in our, in our innermost part of ourselves that we have no time for God, but we have all kinds of time for ourselves. And we tend to then use other people to get what we want. So I'm unable to occupy this present moment because the busyness migrates into hurry, and in hurry, we begin to squeeze God out of our lives. You see, being busy is the outside. Being hurried is on the inside. Busyness is having a lot of meetings on your calendar. Being hurried is scheduling those meetings back to back, forcing you to run from one meeting to the next. You never have a time to even hear your own thoughts. Busyness is leave, leaving a lot of errands to run. Hurrying is trying to hurry those. And then you get to the line and there's four lines, right? You know what's about to happen. You're in such a hurry. You don't know which line to get in. And the line you get in is the one that doesn't move. And as you're standing there in the one that doesn't move, what happens to your inner being? Your heart rate goes up, your anxiety goes up, your frustration escalates, and now you've gone from being busy to being hurried. It's affecting your spiritual state. You chose line three instead of line four. Busyness is attending Bible studies all week long. Hurry is not leaving enough time between those Bible studies to actually focus on God and how it applies to your life. So we can do really good things and not be making wise choices. I would argue and say, if I interviewed everybody here, we would all argue to the fact that we're busy. 
Anybody busy? Right? We're all busy. But the real question is, how many of us are hurried? We're so busy, we don't have time for devotions. We're so busy, we don't have time for church. We're so busy, we don't have time for God. Or, or we, we give God time, right? Here's the compromise. Here's the compromise. We give God time, but we give God this. And what do we take? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How did Jesus use his time? How much of ministry was him? How much of ministry was God? How much of ministry was about his needs versus others' needs? How much of it was focused on his disciples and their well-being versus his well-being? But now let's stop and let's be fair. Did Jesus take time for himself? Yes, absolutely he did. We see where he went alone with himself into a mountain and prayed. There was times where he's in the boat sleeping. There was times where he was eating. And there was times he walked with disciples on the road to Emmaus. There, even after death, he was spending time with people and investing. But he also took time for himself. So we're not going to go so far and be radical here and say, if you ever take time for yourself, you selfish jerk. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that there's balance in what we do in ministry. And we need to balance those times in our life. Let's go to Mark chapter 11. I'm going to kind of jump ahead here. Mark chapter 11. I want us to look at verse 1 through 10. We're going to read it together here. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and to Bethany of the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples he said, go to them, go in the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter in, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, and untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied to a door on the outside of the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they said to them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the roads, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Now, what do all these people think is happening? Jesus is going to, this is his time, right? This is his time. Jesus is going to be king. He, our ruler is here. The savior from the Romans is on, on the street. He's coming in. Hosanna. He's here, right? Praise the Lord. What do we know about this time? It's kind of the opposite, right? <laughs> the king is here, but the king is not going to live on an earthly throne. He's going to declare his heavenly throne. He's going to come in, not as the people think he's coming. He's coming in as God wants him to come. And he's coming to fulfill a mission the Father sent him to accomplish. You know, this last week as I was looking at different scriptures and praying on scriptures, and man, praise the Lord for audio Bible functions on your phone. Isn't that so awesome? You can sit in your car, turn on your Bible app, and just sit there and listen to scripture. So you don't need to be serious, whatever. 
You can, you can just listen to God's word. And to sit there for 10 hours and, and have the word of God read to you in different portions. It was reading through John 3, and then I was on long enough that I could actually get to Romans 8. And, and it's interesting, in those two chapters, you have totally diametric opposite views on a certain subject. And the subject's condemnation. John 3 declares that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. So they're already in trouble. They don't have to do anything and they deserve to go to hell. Condemnation's already there. And then, of course, the Bible tells us what? Jesus came that he might die for mankind. John 3.16, right? The next verse, John 3.17, reiterates the fact that he came to give eternal life to anyone who believes. Then you hit Romans 8, chapter 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to who? To those who are in Christ Jesus. Couldn't be any more clear. Those two passages of Scripture. Why did Jesus come to earth? Well, he came to die for the sins of mankind. No, he came to take condemned people and make them uncondemned. Redeem them. And Romans 8 says, you know, after being given the gospel, by the way, Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, after being given the gospel, the only way to get out of condemnation then is to have Jesus Christ. Be a follower of Jesus Christ. Chapter 10 tells you how you can do that. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved. And Romans 3 tells us who doesn't qualify. For all have sinned and come short of... There it is. And as you listen to the scripture and these verses just hit, and you begin to just see the gears of scripture mesh. They're not conflicting. They're not grinding. They just mesh one with another. Like gears on a cog and, and they just roll through. Here, the world has an idea of what they think Jesus should do in redeeming his time. But what did God say Jesus should do? What was the mission Jesus rode that cold into Jerusalem for? One, to fulfill scriptures. Two, to prove who he was. And three, to redeem man from time. The wage of sin is, that means we're finite beings. It's appointed unto man once to, that's a finite thing. What is everlasting life? No time. God says, I'm going to take you from being somebody stuck in time, and I'm going to make you timeless. That's why his great love applies to us, because we're going to live under it for all of eternity. But right now, we're suffering and, and things aren't always working out for good. The Bible says they are. But it, I don't feel like they are. Because why does a righteous lady die at 96 years old? Why not 97? Why not 98? Why not 104? Why 96? I'd like to be selfish and say it was the only week I could do the funeral. So God said that's when it was. But I guarantee it wasn't about me. I guarantee it wasn't about me. God just used who was available to fulfill his will. She was going to die on that date regardless. Because it's appointed unto man once to die. You know words that you probably never hear Jesus say? Ah, it can wait. I think, I think he always knew what people needed. 
I think as he looked at people, he, he probably was able to process in his mind every need that they had. And I say that because remember what happened when he looked across from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem? What did he see before he wept? People that were sheep without what? Yeah. There's lost people there. Look at them all. And what was he about to do? Be the burnt offering sacrifice for them. He's about to shed his blood for them. And says he was moved with compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. To redeem our time is to get rid of the hurry, but to be busy. It's okay to be busy, but it's not okay to be hurried. Because in hurry, we push God out of our lives. In hurry, we make God second place. In hurrying, we try to cram in things we want rather than what God wants. And I promise you, anytime you replace yourself with God, it benefits you. But when you replace God with yourself, you're in trouble. And God's going to chasten or correct what's going on in your life. So to redeem our time in the model of Jesus Christ, we must be like Jesus Christ. We embrace being busy. We like productivity. How many like to be productive? I hate being busy and not being productive. You imagine having to build a, a house three times to get it right? That's insanity. What do you do? You study, do it right the first time. I love being productive, but I do not ever want to get to the point in my life where I feel hurried. Where I feel hurried. Because you know who, ben, you know who loses in that? The one who's hurried. How many of you have heard this phrase? Haste makes... Really? It does. You know what? We waste a lot of time. We waste a lot of energy. We waste a lot of resources being hurried. Trying to be selfish. When if we pour our lives into other people, what happens? You get blessed. They get blessed. And what are the odds God gives you more opportunities to do more with less? How many times did Jesus just heal one person? Not very often. There were times. Jairus' daughter, of course, she was dead. There wasn't much to heal there. You just had to bring her back to life. She was gone. But most of the time, he healed multiple people and multiple healings all at the same time. Matter of fact, sometimes he healed multiple ones and only one came back and thanked them for healing them. But Jesus was always doing multiple things at the same time, but he never did it at the expense of time with his father. You think about it, when he did great ministry, where was the first place he would go? Before he did something great, where would he normally go? He'd pray. Matter of fact, in the week that we just read about, we find out that he has time before he goes to the cross to go where? Into a garden. Who's he want to talk to? The Father. He says, nevertheless, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. I don't want to be separated from you, Father, for all of eternity, for, for the first time in eternity. He says, let this cup pass if it be. But nevertheless, not my will, but... And who did he do it for? He did it for us and for the glory of God. He went to the cross for us and for the glory of God. Go to John 17 and uh, verse 4. John 17 and verse 4. I want you to see this passage of scripture. 
Listen to what it says. Jesus is speaking here. He says, I glorified you on earth. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Father here. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Who does it benefit? And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to who? To the men, to the people. I've, I've given your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. What did Jesus say he did it for? He did it for the glory of God and the good of others. And in the process, who got glorified as well? Jesus himself. Jesus himself was glorified because he glorified the Father. He, he helped others. And in the process, God glorified the Son because of his obedience to do what he was called to do. If we're going to redeem the time, the greatest thing you can do is what the will of the Lord is. And what is the will of the Lord? For you to use the time that you've been given, the stewardship of time that you've been given, to use it for his glory and the good of other people. You know, Burke Krause, when she was laying in a casket in front of me this week, she's done. There's nothing else she can do to glorify God. She glorified God with her life. And we remembered how she glorified God in her body. But today, what kind of body is she in? A glorified body, isn't she? A body that can stand in the presence of Jesus Christ for how long? Think about it. No more time. So how are we using the time that Jesus gave us for the glory of God and for the good of others? Teach us to redeem our time because the days are what? Listen to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. I give you this in closing. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run that you might obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, and I do not box as one that beats the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, left after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So we run the race that's before us. We endure. The Olympians right now are training for the Winter Olympics, right? Are they running as one that beats the air, or do they have purpose? Do they have goals? Do they have intentional waypoints in their training? And you know what? As Christians, we need to have intentional waypoints in our training as well. You know what? We should have the goal of leading somebody to the Lord. We should have the goal of reading our Bible more. We should have a goal of being in church more. We should have a goal of doing the things that are going to help us run the race that God has before us. And in case you want to see somebody who ran the race... I love what Hebrews says, right? Hebrews chapter 12, remember what it says? Let us run the race that's before us, looking unto who? The one who went there first. How do we know that? What does an author do? He writes the book. What's a finisher do? Completes. Jesus is the author and finisher of what? He's the one that wrote the book. So if you're going to look to anybody how to run this life, Who's the best one you can look at? The one who went there first. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy, think of that, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and today is set down where? 
at the right hand of the throne of God making intercession for us. Consider him. He did it. He did it with the same 24-hour days we have. He did it in three, 33 and a half years, which some of us have been granted double and some triple, right? Working on it. And think of what we can do in our time period that we have left for the glory of God and for the good of others. Teaching us to redeem our time because the days are evil. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. There's so much more we could have covered today, Lord, but yet I think this is a good place to finish the series. And, and Father, I thank you for the many examples in your word of how you use time and you were able to use space and you're able to use illustrations of athletes and self-control and wreaths and rewards to help us to understand that we are stewards of the time, space, and matter that you've given to us. And Father, you haven't given to each of us the same money. You haven't given to each of us the same abilities. You haven't given to each of us the same vocal qualities or skill sets or any of that. But you have given to every one of us something that is absolutely fair and absolutely even. You've given to all of us time. And all of us have the same 24 hours every day to use them for ourselves or to use it for your glory. And Father, I just pray that we would be able to discern what your will is in our lives and that you would show us every day as we take up our cross every day that we would be able to follow you and do the will of God for your glory and that it would be good for others as well. Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to understand that we are finite beings. We are not infinite. And Father, help us to understand that those people that are out in the world who are not just busy but also hurried, are literally killing themselves. And Father, we who hold the truth of your word have what they need to have so that they don't need to feel hurried. We're all going to die with stuff on our to-do list. We're all going to die with things on our bucket list. And we're all going to die with places and things that we were planning on going to and things that we were planning on doing. But Father, none of those things move you as much as it moves you when we do what your will is and share the gospel and disciple and teach and preach and show others the truth of your word and the truth of the Holy Spirit and who the Son, Jesus Christ, is and was and is to come that changes the lives and trajectory of lives in such a way, Father, that not only does it glorify you in heaven, but then it helps others that we can't even reach because of that concentric circle, the gospel keeps going out and keeps going out. So, Father, help us to be busy about your ministry but help us not to be so hurried that we miss the opportunities that you place in front of us every day and every week. So, Father, may we do what we do for your glory. And may we do it to help others around us. And in the process, Lord, we ourselves are glorified through the work that is done for your glory. And we're blessed because of it as well. So, Father, teach us to number our days. Teach us to understand the time that we live in and help us redeem the time because the days truly are evil. There's lots of ministry to be done. Help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. In your name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen.